Oh, hold your applause. Please. All right. Jason, I want to thank you for that. Uh, you don't understand the level of memorization it takes to do announcements and offering. Uh, there's a lot to remember there, so I appreciate that. And uh, digging deeper, that study, um, when we talked initially, uh, Stacy and Eddie and I, about starting this study, um, the idea was that at church, sometimes we, um, we don't open up about our issues, the things that we're struggling with, the things that we're fighting. And uh, the, the whole purpose of the digging deeper study is just to have a group of people uh, that are willing to open up and share and, and, and whatever struggles we're going through. And, and uh, my prayer is that not only do we continue with that group, but then we begin to expand even more. Um, how many realize that we need more and more opportunities to open up about our struggles? That's uh, the purpose of the church. We are a hospital, you know, to open up about what we're struggling with because Christ does have the answer to all of our struggles. And uh, so we very important that we, um, um, if, if you're, you know, really want a group that you can open up and plug in with, that would be a great group, digging deeper um, with the group. And uh, if you want to know what the time and date is, uh, Jason has that memorized. I don't. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Turn your Bibles, if you would, to Second Thessalonians chapter 1. <clears throat> and I want to thank Eddie. Uh, he did my part six of this study, which is the return mail. And uh, so he finished out First Thessalonians. But Second Thessalonians is the second letter that Paul wrote to this church. And it's a continuation of the first. It's uh, roughly a few months to maybe a year at the most apart, these two letters. And so he sent the second letter just to clarify even more what he sent on the first letter. So the subject of both letters is uh, the Lord is returning very soon. And um, I want to make sure that you're living a life in light of the fact that he is going to return and uh, when he returns, there are going to be some serious repercussions, uh, both for the good and for the bad. How many know that to be true? And so this is a truth as the church, which is really the center of everybody's life, is that the Lord uh, did acquire uh, the deed to this earth. He's going to be the king. He's going to rule. He's going to reign. And the Bible says he came one way as a lamb to fulfill all of the prophecies. But the Bible says the second time that he returns, it's going to be different and he'll return in a different way. And it says that his reward is with him. And so what we need to really stress as the church is that um, that's both a an exciting thing, which we've talked about in light of the fact that being believers, how exciting it is to be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, to be transformed, uh, to be protected from the wrath that's coming upon the earth. But the thing we also have to remember is it's also a terrifying thing uh, if you don't receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. And so we want to make sure that that message, both the good and the bad, uh, rings out very clearly and that we teach it very clearly and that we all know it, not just I know it, but we know it as a church to be able to make sure that we're um, evangelically really reaching people. So let's look at Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 1. It says, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy. Now, Silvanus, don't get confused. This is Silas. Some versions uh, will say Silas. One writer likes to call him by his formal name, Silvanus. The other writer likes to call him uh, by his less formal name, which is Silas. So Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, 
to the church of Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting, because your faith is greatly enlarged, and the love of each one of you toward one another grows even greater. Therefore, we we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. This is a plain indication of God's righteous judgment. Now listen to this very carefully. So that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which indeed you are suffering. For after all, it is only just for God to repay with affliction those who are afflicting you and to give relief to those who are being afflicted and to us as well when the Lord Jesus Christ will be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels and flaming fire. Um, and here's what Christ is doing when he's revealed. It says he'll deal out retribution to who? To those who do not know God and those who do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. These will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day and to be marveled at among all who have believed for our testimony to you was believed. To this end also we pray for you always that our God will count you worthy of your calling and fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power. So that the name of the Lord Jesus will be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, right now, anoint your word, Lord. Holy Spirit, I pray that you speak through me. Let not be the words of man, but let it be the teaching of Christ, Lord God. Let it be poured out, Lord God, in all wisdom and all power and all glory, Lord, that you would hide me um, in all my weaknesses and all my failures, Lord God, and that you would speak your word in full power, Lord God, that they would hear you and only you, Lord. And uh, we pray all these things in your name, Lord Jesus, and everybody said, amen, hallelujah. So just a little bit of a uh, review from last... The last uh, book that we studied, which was First Thessalonians, and um, it's very critical that we understand uh, who this book is written to, because he was in a town, um, in fact, if you study Paul, you see that he went on what's called his first missionary journey. And so the area that he went to, if you look at, um, if you look at Israel, and you go north and a little bit to the east, there's an area of Asia that's called Turkey now. And so his first trip, this is where the church of Galatia was. And this is boring stuff, but I want everybody to learn the Bible. So please just follow along with me. Let's get through the historical, geographical, and then that way we can really understand what we're studying. So he's in Asia first on his first trip, and he goes through these cities of Galatia, which is like Derby and Iconium and and uh, Pisidia and Antioch, and then he goes through a place called Lystra. And as he goes through these churches, Paul is treated very terribly. Um, in fact, lots of people are being converted that are not Jewish people. He goes to the Jewish synagogue first, but then lots of people are being converted who would be called pagans. 
And uh, this is very important because Paul is preaching this gospel to the ends of the earth like God, Lord Jesus, had called him to do. He's leaving Jerusalem, uh, Antioch, and he's preaching the gospel to the world. And he's going into areas preaching to the Jews first and then also to the Gentiles. And the reason why I say this is so important is because not only are the Jews after Paul, but so are a lot of the Gentiles because he's preaching about living for Christ and serving Christ and uh, being obedient. Do you hear how he said obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ? And uh, Paul understands this is very important. Because those who are not obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ, what did he say is going to happen? That those who do not know God and those who aren't obedient to the gospel of Christ, there's going to be a different kind of Jesus Christ that returns the second time. The first time he was here as a lamb. And how many know that he died for us and he allowed, um, he allowed himself to die on a cross because he wanted to save uh, in fact, he said he was willing that nobody would perish, um, but that all would come to repentance and come to Christ. And, uh, and he offers a plan that just can't fail, you know, a plan to, um, you know, to make us righteous through his death. And so Paul knows that if his gospel is rejected, how many know that if you reject, in fact, the Bible says in John three sixteen that uh, God was not willing that any should perish, but all should come to everlasting life and believe. But those who didn't, he said, are condemned already. And so the message that we have is imperative. It's, it's, if I don't deliver the message today, if I fail, uh, in my task to deliver that message, how many know that everybody who rejects the message that we're preaching, um, will not be ready for the return of Christ? So it's critical that we present it in a way where people understand it. And it's critical that people hear the message because if they don't hear the message, we're just one breath away from eternity. How many know that? And so in chapter 1 of Second Thessalonians, Paul is stressing this because he came on his second trip. He crosses over from Asia to Europe. And on the coast of Europe, you find a city called Thessalonica. In fact, he went to Philippi first. Then he went to Thessalonica, then he went to Athens, then he went to Corinth. So he's just working his way down the coastline. Now these are the biggest cities that are in Macedonia, which is what we would call now Greece. So Paul is in Greece and he's in Thessalonica and he shows up there to preach the gospel. He and uh, Silas and Timothy, and while they're there, the Bible says that many, many of the pagan Greeks are being converted. In fact, Paul is in the marketplace and so many people are being converted who are pagans that it makes the Jews very jealous. How many remember reading this? And so now you've got religious Jews that are jealous because so many pagan, um, formerly pagan people, it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, turn from pagan idols to serve the living God. And so we need to look at that and we need to understand who is the church at Thessalonica? And I get excited when I see who the church in Thessalonica is. Because that culture was part of the Roman Empire. And I've stressed in the past that Roman Empire was very decadent. 
How many of you know it was very decadent, it was very wicked, it was very evil? There's not a single commentator of the history of the Roman Empire that would say that that period of time um, was better than it is now. They were more um, sexually immoral than any time in history. Um, they were some of the worst. They were very, I would say, were at least on par. Okay, we're very close to what they were back then. And they were very um, wicked people. And part of their religion was sexual immorality. Part of their religion was being drunkards. How many know that? Part of their religion was all of these things that was repulsive to Jewish people. How many know this to be true? And so Paul goes to this city and guess who most of his converts are? People that within the previous year had no knowledge whatsoever how to live for God. And so Paul goes to the city and it says he worked um, even while he was preaching the gospel. And so if you know where Paul worked, each of the cities, he worked in the big marketplaces. And so who was Paul rubbing shoulders with all day? In fact, Paul was from an area called Tarsus that was in Cilicia. And that particular area was known for a very rough uh, kind of fabric that they had, and it was known around the world, and it was kind of a black fabric that you would make almost like our canvases today. In fact, it was durable, it was rough, you could make a tent, you could make bags, you make all these things. So Paul very much felt led by God to make his own money. And so he'd go in the marketplace, and so Paul, all day long, what do you think he's doing while he's repairing tents and selling his wares and in the marketplace? I mean, he's winning people to the Lord. And so these are very important to understand. So when you see at the beginning of this, Paul, Timothy, and Silvanus, uh, within three weeks, three Sabbath weeks, he ministers at the synagogue, and finally the Jews are so jealous that Paul's winning so many who are lost. Now just think about that in your head. Why are we so upset that Paul is winning people who previously wanted nothing to do with God and now they're learning how to live righteously and they had lived the worst lives you can possibly imagine. In fact, I told you these kids, anybody who studies a biblical encyclopedia and studies these pagan cults, I mean these kids were being pulled into these cults at the age of 10. They were prostitutes at the age of 10, okay? Let me be very clear. You say, can you do that on a Sunday morning? I'd better do it on a Sunday morning. Because if you don't understand what world they're in, you're not going to understand this gospel. We've sugarcoated it too long. That's why our society is so messed up. And Paul's going in the middle of a culture that's messed up, a culture that's immoral, a culture that just fornicates and doesn't think anything of it. You know, fornication, that means just sexual activity outside of marriage. And Paul is saying, hey, look at all these people that are coming now, and they want to learn how to live for God. And so he's chased out of town. And so as you go back to my previous weeks, you'll realize that they're so angry that these people want to live for God now that they put together a mob of people. It says the roughest people in town. They put together the Jews and the rough people in town and they run Paul out of town. And so we don't know how long Paul was there. He was there at least three weeks, but we don't know how long. And in that three weeks, it says Paul taught him day and night 
Here's how you live for God. Here's how you overcome your addictions. Here's how you overcome your sins. Here's how you come out of a life of prostitution. Here's how you come out of a life of sexual immorality. And Paul is teaching them and he's ran out of town. So he gathers himself back in the, in the city of Athens, which is just south of it. And how many know right in the middle is Mount Olympus? It's the epicenter of pagan idolatry. Okay. Paul regathers himself in Athens and, and anyway, his friend Jason was arrested and had to post bond and promise that Paul wouldn't come back or he'd be arrested. So Paul says, okay, Timothy, you're the man. So he sends Timothy back to Thessalonica to get a report back to Paul. And and he wanted to know, how is their faith doing? And Timothy, he sent to strengthen their faith. So when we get to Thessalonians chapter 2, we see this young church. How many think this is exciting? How many think it's exciting when you realize this Thessalonian church was made up of people that knew nothing about God the previous year, and now all of a sudden they're doing everything they can to live for God, and persecution is increasing, but guess what they're doing? Their faith is getting stronger. Isn't that amazing? You know, sometimes today we would say, well, man, you know, That person comes to the Lord, maybe their faith is being destroyed now, but it's not happening. You're looking, you say it's getting stronger. And that's why Paul's so excited because he sent Timothy back to get a report. And so Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 1, uh, Timothy comes back to the report and he says, in verse 3, he says, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting. Now, a lot of people say that Paul says that because they feel almost embarrassed that Paul's so proud of them. And he says, no, it's actually fitting that I say that I'm proud of you. Okay, now how many know a lot of these just needed a dad? And Paul in First Thessalonians said, I'm like your dad. I'm like the dad that tells you straighten up. He says, I'm like the mother that changes your diaper and feeds you in the night. And that's what Paul was to them. He was like their mom. He was like their dad. Um, and he's, and it blows my mind. I told you, this was a former Pharisee. Okay. And he's taken this group of people that's never known anything about God. And most uh, Jews in that day would just look and shake their head and say, we have nothing to do with these people. How many know that? And here's Paul loving them. And he says, it's only fitting that we are proud of you, brothers, because your faith is greatly enlarged. And the love of each one of you toward one another grows even greater. Therefore, we ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions, afflictions, which you endure. This is the plain indication of God's righteous judgment so that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which indeed you are suffering. And so Paul really kind of points out three areas that he's really proud of their faith. He says, number one, in verse four, He says, therefore, we speak proudly of you among the churches for your perseverance and faith in the midst of what? Persecution. Now, persecution is a very specific word, diagmos, which means that it is a structural, um, structural pressure that's being put on them, meaning it's intentional, meaning the whole system is designed to put pressure on them. 
In fact, what that means is that the Jews most likely were still putting pressure on them in the form of persecution to make their life harder. Also, the Greeks were working together still. Remember, the people that ran Paul out of town, they were lying about Paul and they were lying about his ministry. They were trying to get this young group of people just to say, uncle, say quit. And so everything was stacked against them to make them quit. Now you got to think about this. Paul is complimenting them for their faith growing. But everything is stacked against them to quit. You say, why would God do that? Man, what a cruel God. Because the same sun that melts the wax hardens the clay. Meaning, how is God going to make your faith stronger if you don't go through anything with your faith. That's the exercise. How are you ever going to build a muscle if you don't ever break the muscle down? Say, man, I want to build muscles, but I don't want to shovel all day. I want to build muscles, but I don't want to split wood all day. I want to build muscles, but man, weightlifting is not my thing. It makes me sore. And so God's trying to say, how does faith get stronger You know, in fact, the Bible tells all different kinds of form of faith. It talks about people that have weak faith. It talks about people that are new in the faith, not to lay hands on them suddenly and put them in leadership. It talks about people that, um, you know, you got to be careful what you do around them because their faith is weak. And uh, But then here it's saying, remember in 1 Thessalonians where I taught in uh, the section where I said that Paul uh, sent Timothy to strengthen their faith. And this is the strengthening of the faith exercise. Persecution. God is going to allow somebody that has faith to endure persecution. How many like persecution? And I don't think we like it. But do we understand the value of it? We understand how important it is to, and you say, well, how does this strengthen me? I don't understand how it's strengthened. Let me go to the next one. Maybe this will make you feel better. He says, you, you had faith and perseverance, verse 4. Therefore, we speak proudly of you among the church of God for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. Now, afflictions is a different word. NIV says trials. King James says tribulations. Another version says afflictions. The word thalipsis in the Greek, it means pressing pressure. And it describes any difficulties you face in life. Family problems, financial pressure, your job concerns, your health problems, your transmission that went out, your payment that you can't pay. Maybe uh, you um, got this thing going around that makes you sick. Maybe people are missing at work, you know, just general afflictions. How many know that we have a lot of those too? And so Paul is saying, I am proud of you. I speak proudly of you among the churches for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions which you endure. And he says this. 
Now that's an important word right there, this. Meaning the afflictions, the persecution, all the things that you're going through and enduring with perseverance. This is the plain indication of God's righteous judgment that you will be considered worthy of the kingdom. Now we've got to be careful because when we see the word worthy, we can misinterpret that scripture. We can think that that says, I'm worthy of the kingdom because I endured persecution and because of my works, I'm able to go into the kingdom. That's not what it's saying there. If you look at the Greek, it's saying the persecutions and tribulations make it obvious that you have the faith. It means it is the revealer of the faith. It tells you that I've got the real thing. In fact, if you marry somebody and you take a vow and you say, I love this person with all of my heart. And you go through hard times. You go through difficult times. It's like, man, we have no money. We're broke. We're flat broke. We got nothing. We, we don't have anything. We got less than nothing. We're losing everything. And, and you turn and you look at that person and they say, I'm with you forever. How many know that revealed that the kind of love is there that will last forever? When you got a friend and, you know, you turn to that friend and, man, nobody, nobody loves you, nobody cares about you. How many ever felt like everybody is against me? And there are times in life where the enemy loves to do that. Remember, the enemy wants to bring out the worst in you. And God sends the enemy because he wants to bring out the best in you. Isn't that weird that God allows that? God believes in the power of faith so much that he'll allow the enemy to test you because he wants to bring out the best in you. And so you never will know whether you have a friend until everybody else kicks you when you're down. Everybody else gives up on you. Everybody else says that yeah, you're right about them. And there's one person that still believes in you. And that's what makes them your best friend. Am I telling the truth? So Paul is saying, I brag about you and I'm so proud of you because you've been systematically persecuted, but your face getting stronger. You've been um, systematically through everything that could possibly happen. What would it feel like? And this is just a hypothetical. I know it's never happened to any of us, but Lord, I'm standing for you at work. And systematically, they're opposed to Christians. Just everywhere I go, I stand out and I'm alone, and, but I'm still going to trust him. In fact, I've gotten to the point over the years, I've done it so many times that I'm so excited when persecution comes. It's like it's the only way that I know that I'm doing the right thing. You know, when I feel it, you know, when I feel that I'm the only one and I'm like, I'm like, Lord, I thank you for letting me be this, you know, letting me suffer through this. But how many know when that happens, isn't it insult to injury when at that moment your transmission goes out? At that moment you can't pay a bill. At that moment... You know, a tree falls on your car. At that moment, a roof blows off and lands on your truck. At that moment, your timing chain goes out on your multiple cars. At that time, somebody close dies. 
And I'm saying your faith is going to be tested. You're going to go through systematic persecution and at the same time go through affliction. And Paul's saying these people, who most of them have only known the Lord for a year, he was like, i got to get back there, but I'm banned from town. Please find out what happened to him, Timothy, that my work is not in vain. Timothy comes back and says, they're getting stronger. And I just got to ask you today, is that what's happening with your faith? Is it getting stronger or every time there is a trial or a tribulation or a failure, we give up on God? And Paul, I don't think we really read Thessalonians and understand why he's so excited. These were pagans who were serving idols. And I think Paul looked at him and said, you know what? I've known Jewish Christians who their whole life have served God and they're not doing what you're doing. In fact, he was bragging all across the world how they were. How many think that's probably true? He's probably like, I've known people that have served God their whole life and not doing what you guys are doing. And so we need to look at this and say, man, I want so bad to be like this. And uh, we almost have to read what they endured with faith and perseverance first and then read the fruit of it second. Because if you go back to If you go back to verses 3 to 5, it says, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brethren, as is only fitting, because your faith is greatly enlarged. Your love for each one toward another grows greater. Therefore, we speak proudly of you among the churches for your perseverance and faith. And uh, so here's the amazing thing. Not only is their faith getting stronger, but the fruit of testing is growing in the believers. You ever heard of the fruit of the Spirit? It's not the fruits of the Spirit. It's not love, joy, peace. Hey, I'm a love tree. All love grows on me, nothing else. I'm a peace tree. All peace grows. It's not the fruits of the Spirit, the separate fruits that grow on the tree. It's when you're in Christ and the Holy Spirit and you're trusting God through faith, all of these things begin to grow in your life. In fact, there's love, joy, peace, self-control, gentleness, and it's happening. Thessalonica, they're all one-year-old believers, and not only are they in faith and perseverance serving Christ, but something's growing in them. It says your faith is beginning to grow like a fruit. Your love is increasing. Now, this makes no sense. See, it makes total sense. They're Christians, man. We're all like that. We all just grow in faith. We grow in love. We're awesome, man. You've never been around Christians. But here's the problem. Everything's going wrong around them. They're being persecuted by the city. They're being mistreated terribly. In fact, some of them are pretty, probably pretty harsh. Most commentators think they were physically dying. You know, they were being persecuted so heavily. Uh, Paul, you know, would have gotten a pretty good beating had he not gotten out of town. A um, little more, they didn't have the Bill of Rights, let's put it that way. Okay? And also, afflictions, things are not going perfectly. God didn't say, okay, well, while you're going through the persecution, I'll make sure everything in your life goes perfect. No, they were going through everything. 
They were trusting God through it all and persevering to the point that Paul was like proud of them. But they were also growing in their faith and increasing in their love one to another. Boy, that's big time faith. Big, big time faith. I mean, (laughs) in fact, one of the things that I love um, for me, it is the definition of what fasting is all about. And a lot of people think, well, man, if I fast, um, I'm doing without food. God will see it. He'll feel sorry for me. And he'll do what I'm asking him. Or he'll look at me and take pity upon me and do what I'm asking. And that's not how fasting has worked for me in life. Fasting for me has been Whenever I fast, everything gets a hundred times more sensitive. Have you ever tried it? Have you ever tried to fast for a day or two days or three days or one week or two weeks or three weeks? And the thing that I've learned about fasting is when I fast, everything is more sensitive. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe other people it's different. You say, oh, I feel such a peace. Mm. So much more sensitivity to Christ. Yeah, I do feel more sensitivity sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. But can I tell you something? You ratchet up life by about a hundred times. You go to work and that person who insults you or belittles you or persecutes you, it's more impactful. You know, somebody at home who upsets you, it's more impactful. And uh, when you can learn to be faithful to Christ through fasting... How many know you can go through the toughest persecutions and afflictions in life and live for Christ? You know, you can walk through a day and somebody can insult you and you're going to say, man, and I'm not telling everybody to fast. I'm just saying that's the purpose of fasting is it's almost like a testing ground. If I can be obedient during a fast, I can be obedient at any time. Because fasting is so much harder to be obedient to Christ. And so a lot of times, you know, I'll go through life and, and it'll be like, oh man, you're, you know, this happened, that happened, this happened, they're treating you that way. And you're kind of like to yourself, well, this isn't that big of a deal because like, you know, I've, I've been through this kind of stuff even while I was fasting. And, and, the, and the training ground is much more difficult. But these people had not even fasted. They hadn't really disciplined their life for a very long and they were just obedient no matter what happened. And um, I think it's very important that Paul is setting it up this way. He says um, in verse 4, he says, Therefore, we speak proudly of you among the churches for your perseverance and faith in the midst of all your persecutions and afflictions you endure. And he says that their faith is growing, they're increasing in love, they're persevering, steadfastness, patience. And it says they're counted worthy, which means God has revealed that they have the kind of faith that God loves. And um, and so now it says that um, it talks about their faith is growing, and that that really stuck with me because um, sometimes we wonder, well, what is faith? And it's very important as we go through this study because we're getting ready to go into in uh, chapter two of Second Thessalonians, we're going to get into the tribulation, the antichrist, you know, lots of things that are pretty heavy things. In fact, in the next couple of verses, we're going to get into some pretty heavy things that talk about being eternally damned um, from the presence of Christ. How many think that's kind of heavy? 
How many are glad you're not the one who has to preach it this morning? <laughs> okay, I got to preach it though. Hallelujah. And so what he wants to make sure is they have the right kind of faith, you know. And sometimes when we're teaching faith, we t- teach faith as just simply mental assent. Meaning that, hey, if you say this prayer, you're all right. And somebody will say a prayer that, hey, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe he is God. And the problem is the demons believe that same prayer. Jesus said the demons believe that he is God and they actually tremble. They're one step ahead of some people because we don't tremble at the presence of God sometimes. We just say that prayer that we believe in God. But how many know the difference in faith is you believe in Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life, obedience to the gospel. Like I'm trusting God with my life. He is the Lord of my life. And so I believe in a gospel. In fact, we look at faith in Hebrews chapter 11. Turn to Hebrews chapter 11 if you would. And God begins to give an example of what real faith looks like. In Hebrews chapter 11, it's called the faith chapter where it gives examples. I'm going to read the first seven verses. It says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. To that what is seen was made out of that which... Out of what was visible. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when faith spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, Abel still speaks even though he is dead. By faith, Enoch was taken from, from life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For he was taken and was commanded that he pleased, and he said that he pleased God. And without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and is a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. By faith Noah was warned about what was not yet seen. In holy fear he built an ark to save his family. By his faith he condemned the world. I want you to begin to look at three things that these people did with real true faith. How many know that Abel's faith caused him to worship a certain way? You ever think about that? It affected the way that he worshiped because he had faith in God. He trusted God. He believed God. And God said, hey, Abel, I deserve to be worshiped like this in your life. And how many know because he believed God, it affected the way he worshipped God. Cain refused to worship God because he did not have what? Faith. He didn't believe God needed to be worshipped the way that he said. Uh, look at Enoch. Enoch is said that Enoch walked with God daily. So Enoch's faith caused him to walk with God on a daily basis. You know, Abel's faith made him worship a certain way. Enoch's faith made him walk a certain way. 
By faith, he decided that I need to walk with God every day of my life. And what did God do with him? God finally took him to be with him because by faith, he walked with God daily. So one walked a certain way because of faith. One worshiped a certain way because of faith. And then Noah worked a certain way because of faith. I mean, Noah, it was his faith that made him believe God that the world was going to end the way God said it would end with a flood. And so because Noah believed him, Noah worked a certain way. How many know that God is calling us by faith? In fact, he sums it up here. He says, we must believe that God exists and he rewards those who diligently seek him. In fact, God is calling, in fact, that's what this church at Thessalonica was doing. They were actually living by faith. They were believing that everything that Paul told them about the return of the Lord was true. And because they believed that, they didn't care what they had to endure from the people around them. They had faith to walk with God daily. They had faith to work for God daily. They had faith to worship God Daily, And that's what real faith does. Real faith believes that God exists and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Hallelujah. Church, we've got to have faith. And now look at this next one. Verse 8, it says, In fact, I'm going to start in verse 7. It says, And to give relief to those who are afflicted to us, as well as those when the Lord Jesus will be revealed from heaven. That word revealed is the word apocalypto. There's going to become a time when Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. And so something I have to stress and I have to be real careful to teach is there's coming a day that the Lord will come in vengeance. How many know this is true? In fact, the Lord says uh, that there will be blood up to his uh, his vesture will be covered in blood. It says he's coming back for retribution. And you say, man, that's not the Jesus I was taught about. How many know that when he came the first time, he came as a lamb? He allowed him to be a sacrifice. He was like a sheep to the slaughter. He was humble. He was meek. Um, the, the Jesus that comes at the end with his mighty angels in flaming fire is not that. In church, we've got to understand the real gospel, the real word of God, because when he comes back, the Bible says it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. In fact, his eyes will be red, they will be burning with fire, and he's bringing the scripture there. You're reading it with me. It says he's bringing retribution. You say, man, don't preach like this, Chad. You're scaring me. It should scare you. This whole book is to make sure that we are ready because the whole world will be judged. And I want you to guess how many churches are preaching this message? I don't know. I mean, how many do you think are preaching it? It says he's dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Our Lord means our our master, our We've got to accept him as the Lord of our life. He's bringing retribution to those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. They will pay the penalty 
of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Um, That word is eternal. That means everlasting. That means it's never ending. It's for eternity away from the presence of God. And if that were the only thing hell was about, how many know that is a big deal? Um, He's going to come back. And if we're not obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ, it says there will be eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord, from the glory of his power, when he comes to be glorified in the saints on that day and to be marveled at among those who believe. Turn to Matthew seven fourteen, And again, I'm just teaching through the Bible here. How many think this is important to know? Very, very critical to know, and we don't preach it enough because we want to make friends. We don't want to tell the truth all the time. We want to make friends. And how many know it's important? Our behavior every day is very important because it could be our last moment on this earth. As long as there's breath in our body, we have hope. But when breath leaves our body, there is no longer hope of changing. Hallelujah. 7.13 says, Matthew 7.13, it says, Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way or the road that leads to destruction. Many enter through it, but small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life and only a few there be that find it. Do you hear what Jesus is saying here? Paul is excited about the Thessalonian church because this is some of the roughest people the world has to offer. These are people that come from every sin background and Paul's saying, you came to the right place. Jesus Christ died for your sins. You can't fail. He talked about God saving them, justifying them, sanctifying them, growing in their faith, ready for Jesus at his coming. So we know that anybody can receive this. Anybody can come and be saved by Jesus Christ. But when we hear Jesus saying, there just won't be that many that will will want it or accept it. He's saying, wide is the road, a broad avenue, and most of the people will reject it. In fact, I, it's amazing to think about. There be few there be that find it. This is the words, the true words of Jesus Christ. And I, was, I heard a story the other day about the beaches of Normandy, and they had all of these kids that were storming that beach. And how many know these were like 18 to 21-year-olds? And they asked him the question, they said, how did you get those young men to storm the beaches of Normandy? Because there were estimates, even when they were there, that they would lose maybe eight or nine out of every ten. In fact, the only way they could be successful with it is to have waves and waves of dead bodies. That's the only way to succeed. And they said, how did you convince 18 to 20 year olds to run into that death trap? And they said, because of arrogance and bravado, they all believed the guy next to him was going to be the one. You know, the statistics show that about 99% believe they're going to heaven. And sheer arrogance and pride and bravado, and I'm just getting it down to real rubber meets the road this morning. Jesus said, few there be that find it. In church, we need to be very serious about being obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's for everybody. It's a, it's a plan that will not fail. If you'll read the Bible and you'll be, I mean, this is people that only served the Lord for about a year and they were right with God and they were ready for his return and they were previously pagans. 
And he wants us to be ready. And then he says, narrow is the road. But let me read a few more. John the Baptist, his winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear the threshing floor, gather his wheat into the barn, burn up the chaff with an unquenchable fire. That's what John was preaching. Jesus said, don't be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one, capital O, who can destroy both your soul and body in hell. How many know Jesus said that? Jesus said, it's better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than have two hands and two feet and be thrown into an eternal fire. Jesus said, he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you are cursed into an eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Jesus again, they will go away to eternal punishment and the righteous will go to eternal life. Jude, the punishment of Sodom and Gomorrah serves as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. Revelation, if anyone worships the beast in his image, he will be tormented with burning sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the lamb, and the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest day and night. In fact, you go and look at some of the stories Jesus was telling, and I know this is not the most exciting message, but I'm just teaching through Thessalonians. Paul is very clear those who do not know God and those who um, have not been obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ, they will not be ready at the return of the Lord. And uh, how many know there's no easy way to preach retribution that's coming with Jesus Christ? In fact, we were excited a few weeks ago because we were talking about being in the presence of the Lord, being changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. How many know I'd do a great injustice if all I preached was that exciting moment and read at every person's wedding, or I'm sorry, every person's funeral, we read those scriptures, right? There's a difference between a wedding and a funeral, by the way. (laughs) Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, But how many know I'd do a great injustice if I read that at everybody's funeral, How awesome it is to be in the presence of the Lord when Jesus is saying more people are not going to be ready than are ready. And so I've got to preach both sides of this. And so a couple weeks ago, we were excited and we were shouting because Jesus was coming and we're going to be ready. But church, we've got to make sure we're ready. We can't be fooled. We can't be deceived. And Jesus tells these parables, parable of the wheat and the tares. Um, he said that he will judge everyone, the righteous will inherit the kingdom of God, but the wicked will be delivered to that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. That's Matthew 13. Parable of the net describes the kingdom of heaven. It's like a net thrown into the sea. The bad fish and the good fish, the bad fish are cast away, and the wicked will be thrown into a fiery furnace. That's Jesus. Parable of the wise and foolish virgins. The wise virgins, five foolish virgins. The wise virgins did not keep their lamps, but the wise virgins did. Uh, the bridegroom comes, the wide, wise virgins were ready, went to the marriage feast, the foolish virgins were cast out. The parable of the sheep and the goats describes a separation where the sheep are kept and the goats are cast out. How many know that Jesus is clearly saying this over and over, that there is going to be a separation in church? The whole purpose of this letter is that we as the church not be deceived And every day we're thinking about the return of Christ and living as if he'll come today. Hallelujah. Stand to your feet. Worship team. Boy, 
I did not know 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 would be that heavy. But how many know when he's talking about Jesus giving retribution for those who do not know God and those who are not obedient to the gospel? That's a hard one to preach. Hallelujah. Church, I love you all. And I want you all to be ready. That's my goal as a pastor, that my family, my church, my kids, everybody is ready to meet the Lord. Because it could happen any moment. For any of us, any moment. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we love you. And uh, Lord, I just pray that uh, your message in this uh, book of First and Second Thessalonians would uh, strike a chord in our hearts, Lord God. And it would have the same benefit that Paul provided for the Thessalonians, Lord. That uh, they were new in the Lord, but they were constantly ready. And Lord, they were enduring persecution and persevering and Their faith was growing. Their love was growing, Lord God, because of the backlight of your return, Lord. They knew that you could return at any moment, and they wanted to be right in their hearts, and they wanted to be right in their lives, and they wanted to uh, be living the way that you expect us to live, Lord God. And, uh, and Lord, I just pray for everybody here, Lord God, that, uh, Lord, it wasn't about the sin of the Thessalonians, Lord, because their sins were... Great, Lord God, but you covered them in your grace and your mercy. You sanctified them. You justified them, Lord. You, um, Lord, you purged them, Lord. Made them right for your return, Lord. Lord, do that in this house, Lord God. Help us. In your name we pray. Church, I just want you to find a place. Make sure your hearts are right with the Lord. If you're not right, you can pray with me today. You can pray with me privately another day. Uh, But just don't hesitate because we just never know when it's our last day on this earth. So make sure you're right with the Lord. Hallelujah. share a scripture in closing, but before I do that, I want to say something that I want everybody to remember. Very important, critical. In fact, uh, just cut the music for one moment. I, I just, I know that's not typical, but I'm sorry. It's not the, um, I would not want my eternity to be dependent on a deathbed confession. But there is a moment on the cross where both men are about to breathe their last breath. And the one on the one side of Christ, they're both criminals and they're there for good reason. Both of them. Terrible criminals. The one criminal looks to Christ and mocks him and laughs at him and uses his last breath with pride still. But the one on the other side cries out. And he says, will you forgive me? And he accepts Jesus Christ on the cross. He just cries out. says, Lord, save me. And he said, you'll be with me in paradise. And so I would, do you understand that I would not want my eternal salvation to be dependent on that? But can I, and I'm just telling you because I care as a pastor. I'm not trying to be a popular pastor or, you know, I'm just trying to be a truthful one. If you're ever on the, and I'm just, I know it's weird, but if you're ever on the side of the road and you're dying, 
You're breathing your last breath. Just cry out. Save me, Lord. Save me, Lord. Please. I've known people, I've seen them in their last breath. And they're still too proud to say, Lord, save me. I've seen them in hospital beds and thinking to themselves that God won't receive me. I've done too many bad things. I'm too far beyond. And just remember my words. I might find some people in eternity that I've told that to in the past. And they might be there with the Lord. When When I get there, I might see them. But remember, if you're in your last breath, cry out to God and say, save me, Lord. Save me, Lord. But do it way before then, please. You know, he gave his life so we could live for him. And so there's never... Don't, don't hold off. Don't wait. Don't make that your hope that the last moment you'll say that. But just please know that uh, even to the last breath, cry out, Lord, save me. And there's some people that because they went to church and they were taught about the saving grace of God and how much he wants to save them, that they may have a chance to cry out at that last moment. But don't, don't let it get to that moment, please. Let's get right with God. God's going to give us a blessed life, an abundant life. And I know this is a message that's hard but, but but let me tell you something this isn't just a message for me i really want you to know the lord i really want you to be right with god i really don't want you to miss eternity jesus doesn't either Amen. Amen. hallelujah he's given us every opportunity so let's close in prayer heavenly father lord we love you and uh, lord i pray that your spirit would move upon those who are here lord god and father let it be the most important thing in our life lord our faith and our trust in you. Let nothing separate us from you, Lord God. Father, that our faith would stay strong. It would grow. It would increase, Lord God. Our love for one another would increase, Lord. And, uh, and Lord, that we would preach this message faithfully to those who will listen, Lord God. And uh, give us the power of your spirit to preach it, Lord. In your name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.